if you were here, I want to say thank you. Uh, those of you that prayed, those of you that gave, and those of you that were friendly last week, um, all the people that joined us as our guests that we partner with, every single one, and I'm not exaggerating, emailed me uh, Sunday afternoon or Monday morning and said, we love Living Hope. That was one of the kindest, friendliest, most welcoming churches that we've ever been to before. So thank you so much for that. Uh, made me look good, and I appreciate it. Uh, secondly, yesterday, Candy by the Carload was incredible. Uh, it was a monsoon outside, and so we had people dressed up as characters from Toy Story, and uh, we were drenched. But Several hundred kids came through, just able to bless them with candy and invitation cards and talk to people, and uh, we're starting to get a little bit of a reputation in the city of Powell. We had people coming up to us, and they're like, hey, you're the Christmas truck that was here last year. Like We were looking forward to what you guys were going to do this year, and so just a, a great, great time, and in all of that. And uh, lastly, so encouraged this morning, I've had about four conversations already today of people in our church who are like, hey, this week I was able to share my faith with this person at work or maybe a relative or uh, anything like, like incredible, guys. So just, uh, I don't think uh, as a church we do a very good job of celebrating things. And so I just wanted to pause and celebrate that. Like, that is just incredible. Keep it up. Really, really encouraged. Uh, I've told a couple of you this, and just be praying for myself and Pastor Joe. We talk about sharing our faith. Uh, recently, we took a tour of a Mormon temple up in Delaware. They were offering tours on Facebook, and we're like, eh, let's go. And uh, went inside. They've never had anybody taken, taken them up on that offer. So Joe and I just come strolling in like goofballs. And uh, they said, so what do you guys do for a living? Well... Here we go. As you told them, we're pastors. And uh, so got together with them two weeks ago and uh, walked through Scripture together with them as they shared their beliefs and shared our beliefs and what we believe the Scriptures teach about Jesus. And they asked me, hey, can I walk you through our conversion process to Mormonism? <laughs> Bring it on, man. I don't think it's true, so why not? And so they walked me through the entire process, and we went back and forth on Scriptures, and they said, hey, well, this is about Joseph Smith. And I said, that's a great interpretation, but it's actually about Jesus. And so we walked through the gospel together. And uh, so funny, I was at a, a church this past week, and the pastor walked up to me up in Lewis Center. He said, hey, Aaron, he says, quick question for you. Um, he said, well, a guy in my church was a Mormon for like 40, 50 years, and uh, got saved, follows Jesus now, and now he's part of our congregation. I thought, that's pretty cool. He said, yeah, I got a weird text message, though, earlier this week. He said he texted me and said, hey, do you know Aaron Taylor from Living Hope Church? And uh, the guy, Dean, said, well, yeah, he's one of our, our church planters in Columbus. And the guy said, well, I'm fearful and worried for him. Those were the exact words. And uh, Dean said, well, what did he do now? And uh, if you didn't know, Pastor Joe and I tend to get ourselves in awkward situations. He said, what did he do now? And the guy said, well, there's, there's buzz in the Mormon church that uh, they've almost converted uh, some Baptist pastors. <laughs> so Dean texted him back and said, you might want to let the Mormons know that they're coming after them instead, actually. So uh, pray for us. We're going to get together with them again next week, and they're bringing some more folks, and we're going to bring a couple people with us. And, hey, uh, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we've seen in this uh, series. And uh, they committed to pray that the Spirit would reveal truth to them if we committed to pray that the Spirit would reveal truth to us. And we believe that a real God's more powerful than a false God. So somebody's going to win and it's going to be us, right? Anyways, week four, if you can't tell, that fires me up, of ghost stories. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I apologize in your, your notes this morning. I put 1 Corinthians. If you go to that chapter, it's going to make no sense. Uh, so please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. And we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 18. 
And if uh, you're new with us this morning, maybe it's been a couple weeks since you've been here, today is your lucky day because I'm only going to speak for about 13 minutes, 14 minutes, and then we're going to be closing with our video that's about nine minutes long. So uh, good for you. All right, let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter that he wrote to him, starting in verse 7. And listen to what Paul says. Now, if the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters on stones came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For, what if what, for, sorry, for if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Paul's using a lot of words here, so let's keep going. Verse 12. Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, there's our key, the veil is removed. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for our time this morning. Thanks for your word, God. I pray that in something that can seemingly be confusing, that you bring clarity today. God, so many things that Paul walks us through in this passage, Lord, and I pray that you take your word and implant it in our hearts and draw us closer to Jesus today. Lord, give us the ears to hear your word, Father, the hearts to receive it, and the hands and feet to live out those things that you teach us so we can be more like Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Some of the most fascinating stories that we can find in Scripture, I believe, are found throughout the Old Testament. And one of my favorite ones is what Paul is referencing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want us to jump back, actually. Paul is referring to Exodus 34 this morning. Let's jump back there if you have a copy of God's Word. If not, it'll be on our our screen as well. But if you turn back to Exodus chapter 34, you see the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're semi-familiar with this story. If not, let me just bring a little bit of clarity to that. We know in Old Testament, book of Exodus, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai where he meets with God. God gives him two stone tablets. I'm sure you've seen pictures of those before where inscribed on those tablets were what was called the Ten Commandments. These were basically the governing rules for the nation of Israel for the Jewish people. It's interesting if you actually read in Exodus 34, sometimes we can miss this, that the Ten Commandments were literally inscribed by the finger of God onto that stone. That's incredible in and of itself. The story goes on in Exodus where Moses comes down off of the mountain. He finds that the nation of Israel is now worshiping a golden calf. Friends, just imagine that for a moment. They've seen God do incredible things. Now Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. When he returns, they had taken all of their jewelry that they could find, melted it down, and formed it into a cow, and chose to worship this golden cow rather than God himself. 
That's a fascinating story to me, yet how much do we do that with God, right? That's why I've developed recently the habit of a a prayer journal to record the faithfulness of God in my life so that on those moments that I turn from Him, I never forget what He's done for me and what He's brought me through. It keeps me focused. But Israel loses that focus on what God had done for them, worships this golden calf. Moses comes down off the mountain. He's enraged. He's angry. He throws down both of the tablets. They end up breaking. Now, what we see is that in Exodus 34, if you read towards the beginning, God is angry with the nation of Israel. Instead of worshiping the true God, they're worshiping the calf. But if you actually read in Exodus 34, at the beginning of the chapter, we see that God is describing his characteristics of who he is. And two of the things we read specifically in verse 6 is that he is compassionate and that he's a gracious God as well. And so rather than destroy Israel, we see that God renews his covenant this Mosaic covenant that he's making with them by giving them these two new stone tablets. So Moses goes back up to Mount Sinai. He meets with God for a 40-day period. This is the second time God gives him this next set of tablets, again, inscribed by the finger of God, pretty incredible. But he comes down from Mount Sinai, and this time the scripture says something is different about him. This time when he comes down, his face is literally glowing. All right, look at this verse right here. Exodus 34, verse 29. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai, this is the second time, with the two tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments, in his hands as he descended from the mountain. And watch this. He did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. Man, we could park there for just a second and talk about like, hey, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you're going to look like him and reflect him to the world. I think of the uh, apostles in Acts chapter 4. It says that they were uneducated, untrained men, but people still knew they had been with Jesus. Pastor Joe, we could go on about that all day. But we see here that Moses, what he does is he calls all the people around him. And what he would do is even though his face was shining, people were scared at first, but he calls them around and he shares what God shared with him. What's he doing? He's reflecting God's glory to them. Again, we could, we could talk about that all day. And then he's sharing God's word with them. From the mouth comes God's word. From the face comes God's glory. All right. Now, then what happens? After he's done speaking with them, Moses would then take that veil that we read about in Exodus, and Paul talks about it in in 2 Corinthians 3. He'd take that veil and he'd put it back over his face until the next time that he would meet with God. Then he'd go into the, the tabernacle, and when he's meeting with God, he would actually take the veil off of his face to be in the presence of God. The veil was removed. He had full, complete access, and the glory of God would shine on him. He'd go out and meet with the Israelites, reflect that back to them, share God's word with them, and then he'd go back and he'd cover his face again. That's a pretty incredible story if you actually pause and think about it, what's going on here. But Paul tells us, jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in these verses right here, these 11 verses, Paul's like, look, check it out. Exodus 34, that's incredible, and that is amazing. Verse 9, Paul actually says, like, that is glorious. It was full of glory, what Moses had going on there. But he said the problem is is that in its glory, in what was happening with the law that God gave, that it brought condemnation. You see, it it brought condemnation upon the people of Israel. But Paul goes on to say in these verses, he says the, the ministry that the Spirit does, yeah, the ministry of the law, pretty incredible, pretty glorious, incredible things that we read about. 
But the ministry of the Spirit, we later read in verses 8 and 10, was even more glorious. He said, it's pretty incredible what happens to Moses when he goes up on Mount Sinai is in the presence of God. That's great. But when somebody turns from death to life and follows Jesus and gives their life to him, that is even more incredible. Friends, don't miss what the law did. We read Exodus 34 and we're like, man, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. But all the law did was point out sin. You see, when God inscribed on those stone tablets his rule and his orders, all that was doing for Israel and for everybody was saying, you can't meet my standard. It just pointed out sin in our lives. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin was ultimately death. That's why Paul says the law brought condemnation. Even in its glory that we see in Exodus 34, it simply brings death. But verse 9, what did Paul say? But the ministry of the Spirit brings life. You see, what the law exposed in us that we couldn't meet God's standard, what the Spirit does is removes that from us. You see, the law exposes sin, but the Spirit removes sin. That's why Paul says that the ministry of the Spirit will ultimately bring life. But Paul goes on to tell us in in these verses, verse 16 in particular, that like Moses, like the people of Israel, we have a veil over our face that blocks us from the glory of God. It blocks us from stepping into God's presence. This veil that covers us up and prevents us from experiencing God personally. But because of Jesus, that veil can be removed. Because of Christ, I now get to enter into God's presence. And I want us to see something real quick about the ministry of the Spirit. And what really happens, we're going to look at verse 18, when somebody gets saved. right? Because we're talking about the process of the Spirit this morning. And I want us to see that, that freedom, when that veil is taken up, and I enter into the presence of God, because that's what happens. Exodus 34 is just a picture of what happens to the Christian when we choose to follow Jesus. It's just that picture that we now have a personal, intimate, conversational relationship with the God of the universe. But I want us to see that salvation is not just something that happens in a moment, that's true, but it's a process that we engage in as well. Listen, we get saved at a point in time. Nobody in here has always been a Christian. Let's just clarify that. All right, if you think to yourself, I've, I've just always been a Christian. Lie, it's not true. All right? You had to become a Christian at some point in time. But then when you become a Christian, you step into a journey with the Spirit when that veil is removed from your face and you enter into a personal relationship with God. Let's walk through these real quick. First off, first off, I was saved. We read in verse 18 that, that there's a point in time where you were saved. Right? That, that happens at a certain point in time. Look at verse 18 again. We all with unveiled faces. There's that moment where that veil is removed and I go into the presence of God are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. It means that at some point there has to be a a shift that takes place in my life. When my life shifts and that veil is removed and I step into the presence of God where I acknowledge I'm a sinner, I'm separated from Him, and I have to choose to follow Him. That takes place at a certain moment in time. Because Jesus died on the cross and He was gracious to me, I have the opportunity to do that. You're not born into it. It doesn't happen by an accident. You just wake up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, I was sleeping and I woke up and I became a Christian. How cool is that? You have to make the conscious decision where I say, I'm not one and I repented and now I am one. It doesn't just happen. It's not an osmosis thing. And Paul says when that happens, that that veil is taken off and now I can look into the glory of God. Friends, you know that because of Jesus, that someday when you step on heaven's doorstep, 
that you're going to be able to knock on that door confidently because of what Jesus did in removing that veil for you. Some people say, why is Jesus going to let you into heaven? Because he made the way for me. It's not dependent on what Aaron did. It's dependent upon what Jesus did. So I was saved. For me, that was in 2003 as a 15-year-old kid. I was saved. Here's the second part. I'm being saved. So I got saved at a moment in time, but I stepped into a journey with the Spirit of Jesus where now I'm being saved. Look at verse 18. With unveiled faces, looking into a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And look at this part. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That word transformed is pretty cool. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. You know what that is? A caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly, changes forms. Here's what's interesting. In the Bible, that word transformed is only used four times. Two times, it's used in reference to Jesus' transfiguration, where in his earthly body, we got a glimpse of his heavenly body. The other two times are in reference to when a follower of Jesus uh, like converts to faith in Jesus. When Jesus invades your space and he transforms and changes, changes you. That's a pretty incredible word there. But listen, what's Paul talking about here? You see, when I, when I got saved, I, I was saved. The penalty of sin was removed from, from my life. That's what happened there. That's what the Spirit does. He removes it. But the power of sin is still something I have to engage and fight every single day. See, I don't have to pay my sin debt anymore, but I still have to fight with sin every day. Listen, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, you're going to be able to sympathize with this. Did you you notice that whenever you got saved, I was 15, 2003, that Jesus just didn't like suck out all like the the power of sin in my life and I just don't struggle anymore? You notice he didn't do that? You like those sound effects? He just didn't, there it goes, it's gone. It didn't work that way. What, what, what happens instead? No, the, the Bible says that salvation is a, a process. That, yeah, my eternity is secure, but I'm still being saved day by day where I'm fighting the power of sin in my life. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian because we're pursuing holiness. I'm not where I was yesterday, but I'm not where I'm going to be tomorrow because I'm pursuing the power of of Jesus. I'm fighting the power of sin through the power of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, write this verse down. Philippians 2, Paul says that we're working out our salvation. Romans 6 verse 6 says that we're no longer slaves to sin, but instead we choose to walk in the Spirit's power. You see, the weird tension that we're caught in as Christians is that God leaves us here on this earth. It'd be a lot easier if I got saved and God was like, follower of Jesus, straight up to heaven. That'd be incredible. I mean, you just imagine, like, you'd pray in a church service. Lord, actually, there'd be nobody in a church service. It'd be just a bunch of unsaved people walking around. But you'd be in a church service, and you're like, Lord Jesus, save my soul. There he goes. He got it, right? That'd be incredible, but that's not what he does. God instead leaves you on this earth to choose righteousness every single day, to fight the power of sin in your life and to choose righteousness. And that means, hear me, that sometimes you're going to have to walk through difficult and hard scenarios, some self-inflicted, some sin-inflicted, some sin-inflicted by other people that you just happen to step into or be involved in. Listen, that's the power of sin. But for some reason, God leaves us there. Why? Because he's transforming us. And God says, I, I can take any scenario, I can take any situation, no matter how good, no matter how bad, and in my goodness, transform it for good. Transform it for my glory. Use it to change you and to mold you and to shape you into who I need you to be. Friends, don't miss that because salvation is a 
process. And that means that sometimes those just terrible situations and scenarios that we have to walk through, sometimes that simply means that we just cling to the hope that we have in heaven and say, God, I don't know why you're letting me go through this. I don't know why I'm stuck here. I don't know why I'm neck deep in this. But the Bible says you're good, and I know you're going to use this for my good and your glory, and I'm going to stay here because you're changing me into who you need me to be. The Lord reminded me this week that every scar that I bear is a testament to his faithfulness that he got me through something. Don't miss that. It's a testament that he got me through something and he made me more like Jesus. If you're still here today, it means God's not done with you. He still needs you on this earth to accomplish something, molding you to be more like Jesus Christ. But here's the last one. I was saved. I'm being saved. And the last one is I will be saved. Paul says in that second half of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. He says this is from the Lord who is spirit. What's the reminder? It's the reminder that we fight in this life, but the promise of the Holy Spirit is that someday our souls will find rest in Jesus. That someday when we cross into eternity, into heaven, that we find rest when our soul is perfectly united with Jesus Christ. When sin is vanquished forevermore, its penalty is gone, its power is gone, and it doesn't exist because it's been vanquished for eternity. The scars that I bear in this body will be totally removed. You ever thought about this? The only person in heaven that will have scars forever is Jesus. We will not anymore. They will be gone and we will be given new bodies. But when we see his scars, we'll be thankful for what he did for us. Friends, we will be saved someday when Jesus saves us. And that means that when life presses us, and it will, the Bible talks about a wine press just squeezing us down. It means we don't give up. 2 Corinthians 4, what's it say? It says we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed. Feel that? Anybody? I do. Our inner person is what? Being renewed. Why? Because I have the Spirit testifying with my spirit that God is my Father, Jesus is my King, and heaven is my home. That's why I can get through today and make it to tomorrow. Then what's Paul say? For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. My pastor used to say, when we get to heaven, the first words out of our mouth are not going to be, why, God? It's going to be, oh, oh. Why? Because I'm going to see Jesus as he is and know that everything had a purpose and everything had meaning. Paul keeps going on these verses. So we don't focus on what is seen. That's difficult, though. But we focus on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I will be saved when my spirit is united with Jesus forever. Sin is vanquished, and I will find my home in heaven. Friends, fix your eyes on heaven. The spirit secures that for us. We want to close this series by sharing one more of our ghost story videos. And in this, this ghost story video, for somebody in our church that I think has walked through these three phases of salvation very gracefully and very well. And now God uses her story um, to encourage other people. And so I, I want us to see a, a story of somebody whose life was pressed, whose life was squeezed, um, but the Spirit of God um, rang louder. In the end, the promise of Jesus rings louder. When we trust him and when we put our faith in him, it rings louder. Let me pray for us before we play this. Lord Jesus, thanks for our time today. God, I pray now as we hear this testimony, Lord, that it would just be a, an echo to our souls. 
that the power of Jesus is more powerful than anything we can experience. The renewing nature of the Spirit of God, Lord, I pray we never miss that. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.